Well, hi everybody, and a happy Easter to you all. And it's um, you know it's just it's terrific to see so many of you here. If you are here for those who've been baptized and you come to support them, I just want to say a huge thank you. Um, these days go very very quick, and you may miss out on a few bits and pieces. But I want to say. You being here and present for those is, is a huge appreciation. So I want you to realize you're more appreciated than you realize. Okay. Um, th- now, do you know, the other day I, I went to um, the shopping center in Eden, the Eden shopping center in High Wycombe. And I popped into M&S and I decided I, was, I wanted, I bought three cans of soup uh, just to tide me over for the week. And... The person at the till said, would you like a receipt? So I said, yeah, I would. I'd like a receipt. You know, if you're walking out with three cans of soup and somebody stops you, I mean, it's not good if you're a leader in a church <laughs> and, uh, and you're being interrogated. So I, yeah, I want a receipt. And that, that receipt is my proof of purchase. It's, it's my guarantee. Now, in the Bible, there are four accounts of the life of Jesus Christ. They are historical accounts. You can read legends, you can read myths, you can read fables, it's nothing like them. They're written as historical accounts. Historical records, that's how they are written. They're a receipt. They are a proof, a guarantee that Jesus was who he said he was. Now, we're going to look at one of those in just a moment, one of those receipts. And in, in there, in the verses that we read, you'll find three words which are probably the most important words ever written. And that is, he is risen. Those are the three words. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all write the same phrase. He is risen. So, we're going to go to that passage now. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry. Uh, If you've got an app, then put your app on or whatever. Or if you've got a Bible, turn it open to Matthew 28. And for all the rest, don't worry about that. The words will come up on screen and we'll read Matthew 28 verses 1 to 8. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where they lay him, where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Simon Gathercole is a um, 
a leading academic at Cambridge University. He is an expert in the evidence that surrounds the life of Jesus. And uh, he wrote an article in the Guardian newspaper years ago. And in the article, he says, abundant historical references leave us with little reasonable doubt that Jesus lived and died. Now, he's supported in his findings by a number of historians. Uh, Many of them would have been atheists. And then if you went back further, you've got ancient historians such as Jewish and Roman historians. Gathercolt notes that among the pagans, the satirist Lucian and philosopher, uh, philosopher Celsus, he dismissed Jesus as a scoundrel. And then he writes this, but we know of no one in the ancient world who questioned whether Jesus lived. In his article, he makes reference, and possibly this is why he wrote the article, he makes reference to a survey that was being recently done in England, where it said that 40% of adults did not believe that Jesus was a real historical figure. That's four out of 10 adults didn't believe he was a real historical figure. You cannot go there. The evidence is just too huge that he lived and died. Now, the real question is, did he die and live? That is the question. Not whether he lived. It's it's indisputable. It's whether he died and lived. This might be the first time you've been to church, and if it is, thank you very much for coming. And you may have been bought by a friend or a family member for those being baptized here. And perhaps you never thought of that question. Did he die and live? And there's only two places you can go here with that. And that is, well, first of all, you've got to ask, is, is it true? And secondly, well, what does it mean? So the first thing is that the tomb was empty. And Historians agree with that. The tomb was empty. Jesus was not in the tomb. The tomb was covered, was sealed previously with a one and a half to two ton stone over the entrance of the tomb. It was sealed and it was secured by Roman guards who had been specifically requested to be there. There have been numerous theories about this, but no one has come up with a satisfactory explanation. So there is the swoon theory that he didn't really die. Having been beaten like that, crucified like that, and all the rest of it, he still had the strength to get up and move a one and a half to two ton stone. But actually it's more than that. Romans did crucifixion. This was their stuff. They did the stuff. They knew what it was to crucify someone. You didn't live after crucifixion. They knew when somebody was dead. I mean, they, they, they were experts in this. If you want a professional crucifier, the Roman guards could do it and did. So, doesn't hold water. Disciples stole the body. Well, we'll pick that up one in a minute. Or the authorities stole the body. Why would they do that? They want to show there is a body. So a number of people who have decided to do research to disprove the resurrection have become Christians. 
One of them was a man called Simon Greenleaf. He's a Harvard law professor. He's at the end of the 19th century. This man was at the top of his game. He was the legal, legal man. He was the legal eagle. I mean, if anybody could do it, he could. And he was encouraged to disprove the resurrection and then to write a book on it. Well, he looks into it all and he can't disprove it. In fact, he becomes convinced by the resurrection. The stone wasn't rolled away so that Jesus could get out. Could get out. It was rolled away so that we could look in. Just see that it is empty. So Jesus was not in the tomb. Now secondly, Jesus appeared to people. So about 20 years later, or maybe 15 years later, between that time, the Apostle Paul he writes this letter to the church in Corinth. Again, the words will come up on the screen, so you don't have to go looking for them. But this is what he writes. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, one of the disciples, And then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That means died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And uh, Jesus died, buried, raised on the third day. I mean, it's just... It's confident, compelling, conviction that you can't miss the emphasis of the word appeared. He appeared. Jesus appeared to people. Paul summarizes in this statement Jesus' appearances. So he appears to Peter, to the disciples. On one occasion, to 500 people. I don't know how many are in this room, but let's say it's... uh, what, 150? So it's three times as many as the number of people in this room and more. And then, and then five times he writes this word appeared. Anybody will know that in a court case, eyewitnesses are absolutely crucial people. There they are. And then he writes them all down. The point is go and check it out. This is not an apparition. They saw him, ate with him, spoke to him. They saw the marks on his body. The disciples were changed people. From fearful people to joyous people. From frightened to bold. From reticent to confident. They were imprisoned. They were tortured. Nearly all of them were martyred. For this body that they've hidden doesn't stack up doesn't stack up and all these other people they weren't the only ones what was their story their story was that he died and lived this letter would have been available to the public as to all the new testament writings here it's all for public consumption they knew that that's why they wrote them in those in that way and that's why he sets out all these eyewitnesses The point being made is, go and ask somebody. There's plenty of them still alive 
go and ask. Not once has this been refuted. Not once. That's the point. Check it out. In three days' time, for my wife and I, it will be our 43rd wedding anniversary. That's nice. That's really nice. Yeah, but how do you know that's true? <laughs> how do you know that's true? I mean, I just said something. How do you know it's true? Well, actually, I've got a photograph here. And, um, <laughs> I know some of you have seen this before. It's still a shock, isn't it? <laughs> I, I was young once. Okay, let's, let's just get... My wife still is. But I look at... Uh, yes. Um, yeah, but that's... You can muck around with photos nowadays, can't you? You can do all that sort of stuff. I, yeah, but I, I have a marriage certificate. So on my marriage certificate, it says where I was married. And when I was married. And who married us. And then right at the bottom, it's got in the presence of. Eyewitness. And those eyewitnesses are 43 years older, and they're still alive. And there were a number of others, not just the two of them either, but there are a number of them others. Eyewitnesses. The writers knew that what was written would be examined. That's why they wrote them in that way. Examined, scrutinized, scrutinized tested. And you could easily find out if this was not valid. The resurrection sets Jesus apart from every other central figure of world religions. Absolutely apart. I'm not doing that as to big it up. I'm just saying it is utterly different. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Confucius is dead. But Jesus was raised to life. My friends, take that away from Christianity and it's gone. It has nothing. He, the writer actually goes on to say, our faith is futile. If he wasn't raised from the dead, our faith is futile. In fact, more than that, we're false witnesses. He says all of that. But he then writes, Christ has indeed been risen from the dead. It changes everything. If you ever think about it, it changes everything. The writings were thoroughly researched. They expected scrutiny. Faith isn't blind choice. It's not what some people say, oh, it's a leap in the dark. No, it's not. It isn't going along with something you know is not true. Faith is something that you have become convinced about. There's a chap called Nabil Qureshi, and he writes this book. It's a fascinating read. Uh, he goes on his journey to prove the truth of Islam. And in the journey, he he comes alongside a Christian and he encounters the God of the Bible. It's a huge journey for him. And the words of the Bible speak to him. And as he reads fervently, he asks the question, who is this God who loves me so much, even in my failures? I knew that what I held in my hands was life itself. This truly was God's word. And it was as if I was meeting him for the first time. God breaks into his life, he encounters the living God. 
And then over it says, over the next few days, my heart was filled with a new joy, the joy of meeting God himself. I, I thought I had known him my entire life. But now that I know who he really was, there's no comparison. Nothing compares to the one true God. Seeking Allah, finding Jesus. It is a fascinating, absolutely fascinating read. So, what does the resurrection mean? It means that Jesus is who he said he is. The resurrection is not only an event, it's a person. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. It, what does it mean? It, it means it matters who he is, and it matters that he does what he said he would do. You know, if you go into a hospital and you have an operation... And you wake up the next morning, and beside your bedside is this person, and you think it's the surgeon, and he says to you, you know, I'm just a car mechanic, but I thought I'd give it a go. (laughs) You're not going to be impressed, are you? You're expecting to meet the surgeon. That's who you're expecting to meet. You know when when the plane takes off, and just before then, the the captain gets on the tannoy and he says... Hi there, I, my name is Neil Bartlett, and I'm the, and he, well, he probably got a different name, of course, and I'm the captain of the, of the plane. And, uh, and then you, you, you feel reassured, we have a pilot on board, and he's going to take off, fly, and we trust, land the plane. I mean, I feel better knowing there's a pilot on board. What he says matters. See, he is risen, just as he said that's what happens. On more than one occasion, Jesus, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And some people say, only God can do that. That's right. Only God can do that. He is who he is. He is who he said he is. It's a son of God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The invitation is always to come to Jesus. But you will find Other leaders of religions will always point the way to God. Jesus never does that. He always points the way to himself. He's God. So the invitation always to come to him. It means what he said is true. He said this would happen. That he would be handed over. That he would be killed. And he would rise on the third day. He said it. You read it earlier in Matthew and Luke. He said it. Jesus is in the life-changing business. You can't read this and realize that again and again and again he changes lives. Just like those who are being baptized. Jesus is a life-changing business. All kinds of people. Empty people. Satisfied people. Despised people. Wealthy people. Religious people. Irreligious people. There's nothing, there's no one outside Jesus' go. He revolutionizes people's lives. In a war of loves, this is the story of a gay activist. His name is David Bennett, uh, discovering Jesus. This man is hostile towards Christianity. He's bright, he's articulate, uh, he's, he's got everything going for him. One day in a pub, he meets this lady who uh, he respects And she offers to pray for him. And that's a dilemma for him because he's an atheist. 
and he's a gay atheist. So it's like a, almost like a double dilemma. God praying for me, you know. And then in the end, he finally says, okay, but don't think anything's going to happen. And Madeline laid her hands on me and prayed. The bustle of the pub faded away. I entered into a stillness, a peace. Soon I felt a soft tingling on the crown of my head, slowly intensified as if someone were pouring oil over me. The warm sensation ran down my entire body like a current of water. It was unlike anything I'd ever felt before. In a moment, in that experience, so totally from outside me, so totally unasked for, everything turned upside down in my mind. All my searching in religion, relationships, atheism, none of it compared with this love coursing through me like electricity. For the first time I knew God was real. And that he loved me, I realized this changes everything. And then in this continuing moment here, he can hear God speaking to him. And God says, will you accept my son, Jesus, as your Lord and Savior? This is a real struggle. This is this real struggle, knowing his life and his lifestyle. And it's such a huge struggle. And he, it's a dilemma. And then he says, then the most reluctant of words came from my mouth. Yes, I accept your son, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. As I surrendered myself, something like hot fire coursed throughout my body. I knew I had become a Christian. And I began to weep. But these tears were different. They were tears of freedom and healing. Our God is who he says he is. And Jesus changes people's lives. And every one of those people being baptized has a story. And their story is of encountering the living God. Let me say this. If this is not where you've been, you can have a story too. You could, this could be your story. And after baptism, there'll be an invitation for response. There'll be an invitation to, for prayer. You can have your own story too. They're being baptized because Jesus delivered on the promise. The Bible says that he died for our sins. He not only received forgiveness, my friends... We receive the power to live. This isn't turning over a new leaf. This is not by trying harder. Baptism is about a burial. You must get that. It's a burial and a resurrection. That life, that will accept anything but come under the grace and authority of God is finished with. It's buried. That's the point. Don't worry, they're still going to make mistakes. Don't do that. Well, I thought you'd be perfect now on them. Please don't do that. And, uh, you know, they've got so much to learn. But the whole direction of their life is completely changed. Rid of, buried. And then risen again to new life. That's the significance of it. It's risen again to new life. 
Because of his death and resurrection, it is possible to experience a radical transformation on the inside. Listen, just a moment here. Because God loves you, he won't let your past define your future. Neil, you say, you have not a clue what my life has been like. For others and for those three people, it's fine. I get that. But me, not a chance. You're right. I don't know your life. But I don't agree with that either. Because I've seen Jesus do this again and again and again. Your past is not a death sentence on your future. You can have a story too. Ernest Hemingway writes this story of a father and son. We're going to finish here. They become estranged from one another. And the son, Paco, runs away from home. Eventually, he makes it to Madrid where he aspires to be a bullfighter. His father, meanwhile, has searched all over Spain to find his son. He arrives in Madrid and in a last desperate attempt to find his son, he puts an ad in the newspaper, the El Liberal newspaper. Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana, noon, Tuesday. All is forgiven. Papa. He arrives at the Hotel Montana, Tuesday. And there to greet him is a squadron of police. Paco is a common name. And 800 Pacos have turned up. All of them in the hope of being forgiven and restored to their fathers. They're all looking for a new beginning. And they're all looking for a new start. My friends, that's the message of Easter. And you can start yours too. It doesn't just have to be three people being baptized. Jesus came back from the dead to new life. And you're invited to realize the power of the resurrection in your life personally. So after the baptism, John will give that chance, opportunity again for anybody to come to that invitation or just for prayer. I want to say this though. Jesus is ready for you today. Bless you.